0: You have accessed Entry 032.1K0728. Certificate number
1: 36360. The All-Americans
0: Go to Japan.
1: We are recording this at the beginning of October. And because we live in Seattle, we are not accustomed to baseball games being meaningful past middle August, June, usually, <laughs> June, yeah, June, 2001. <laughs> but this year, uh, the Mariners were making a run.
0: Yeah, it was an exciting autumn. And so you and I were at the park uh, quite a bit. Well, you know, we both like bi- watching baseball and we go to the baseball field uh, we we definitely speak all the lingo. We go to the field. I uh, love you <laughs> like the Coneheads. <laughs> we love to attend the baseball field. Uh, we you know we go throughout the year, right? We went to some spring games. We went to some games throughout the summer. You threw out a first pitch uh, this yeah. year. Your second. I learned uh, <laughs> earlier because you had thrown out a you threw out a pitch at a Toronto game. But you are relentless in your uh, criticism of Blue Jays fans, and this is a this is kind of the first time that I've ever really felt this sort of
1: yeah. I wonder if disconnect. they know. I wonder if they know what a what a uh, wonderful symbol of the team I've been in the
0: past. Because because the the Blue Jays fans from I have from, nothing against the Blue Jays, but from the the fans from Western Canada always come down when the Blue Jays play. And here's the thing:
1: they're not even the fans. <laughs> they just want to come. They just want to come drink beer here for some reason right. for three days
0: rampage.
1: So they're not. Um, I don't hold the Blue Jays are a fine organization and a and a lovely fan base. Yeah. It's just it's just these yahoos from Lethbridge <laughs> <laughs> hopping, in their, uh, four by four, hopping in their pickups and heading down I-5.
0: So you believe there should be a, a Major League Baseball team in Vancouver to, to keep them all home? Or do you think that would just I think exacerbate
1: the by problem? By force of Canadian and possibly American law, I don't know if this is constitutional. I just, I'm just throwing this out here. Okay. You should be forced to root for the Major League team you live close to. They should be radii. Right, and uh, if you live closer to Seattle, Washington, than Toronto, Ontario, you should not be permitted to root for that team.
0: You think proximity trumps even nationalism?
1: How can nationalism even matter? It's not the it's not the Canada Blue Jays. They represent Toronto right it was all it's all because the expos left. i that wish was the they were still
0: in expos yeah that was what i was about to say because
1: then it would be well I, maybe then it was just like <laughs> the french canada expos on <laughs> the rest Ang- of canada anglo canada <laughs> blue jays i don't really know
0: but we do go to baseball games the two of us our friend george uh is our you know baseball companion although we used to go to games the three of us you me and george and at a certain point george was like St- st- split us up and he's like right. i go to games with ken and then i go to games with john i think he just wanted to go to twice as many games yeah maybe, right because right. he goes a lot well he's a quiet talker too and you and i have a tendency to to bulldoze over the it's top. just a loud place for a
1: quiet talker yeah um but uh i really have enjoyed i mean it was very exciting seeing baseball games matter so in seattle after people don't i mean if you are you know if you're a what a Lions fan. I mean, there's certain franchises where you, no matter where you're from, you kind of understand just the what it does to a city psyche to have just years of, of underdog status and disappointment.
0: We had, you know, throughout the Ichiro years... We always see the, the disappointment of the Mariners is we seem like we should. It's always next season. Kill it! We, we're going to kill it! Ichiro is such a great player. All those guys were such great players. We knew them all by name, and then every year we just and
1: that's what's sad. You know, Ichiro out. never got a ring. Felix never got a ring. Yeah. Um, I like the I like the front office better now. I I think. I've been hurt before so by this, got this So you've got this front office times, business. Where so many times.
0: <sighs> I really am ob- oblivious to all that recruiting
1: and guys in AAA, I don't care. I have an 18-year-old who became obsessed with baseball this year. Like, not as a bandwagon fan. Like, when the Mariners were still predicted to go, you know, 70 and 92 uh, at best, uh, my son just got super into baseball, watching every game through means, legal or illegal. He started keeping a little scorecard like I used to when I was his age and kind of perfecting his his methodology. Dylan's a a unique case in
0: that he is tall and handsome and cool, but also a nerd. And he's got to find the right place to be, a tall, cool, handsome nerd.
1: Well being a base so being a baseball kid who keeps score, you know, who's really interested in saber metrics and stats, that really right. kind of splits the baby. It does.
0: That's very smart branding for him. It does. So yeah, I mean he there was a time when he could have been like into Star Trek, but then he like cooled out of it and into baseball. So we'll see how it plays. Feel, I'm I'm rooting for him as a twenty five year old. I
1: think today the Star Trek kids can cool out maybe into anime.
0: I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> you seem <laughs> You seem very skeptical of the words "cool" and "anime." I in feel the same like you got to move
0: through anime pretty fast. But <laughs> well, yeah, because
1: otherwise you'll get you know a skin condition. But um, you mentioned Ichiro. Ichiro, that, we love Ichiro. I have a jersey.
0: I have an Ichiro No, jersey. you're kidding. How did you a real one? How no, did you get it? No,
1: not a game jersey. It was just a birthday present from Dylan who thought I should have a, an actual jersey that didn't say Jennings on
0: it because he thought that was embarrassing. <laughs> I'm not wearing that to the park in for, any case. For years, we used to sit along the first baseline and, you know, Ichiro was the, right there, you know, past past uh, past first base. He was right there and he was so, oh, just watching him walk, you know? He was just so so beautiful to he, watch him move. He was, um, I mean, it wasn't just
1: some, you know, growing up with, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. was Seattle's first superstar in any sport. Right. You know, because... The Seahawks never had anybody other than, you know, kind of local favorites and The Huskies had some had some big names. I don't think college counts because they're, you know, they're they're if they have national status at all, it's for like a year or two. You know? What about Brian Bosworth? (laughs) See, exactly. Speaking (laughs) of a year or two, it's true he got a movie deal, which Jim Zorn never did. But like even when the Sonics won the title, it was just like it was a team effort, you know, like maybe maybe the fan favorite was Jack Sigma because it was an incredibly racist white town.
0: Then. Wait a minute, what about uh, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton? The, they were they were big stars. Yeah, but yeah, but not superstars.
1: You know, those guys are not.
0: Oh right, they're. I mean, they're Payton, not Charles Barkley's.
1: Yeah, you know, and you're you're right that. But by the time they came along, Junior was already playing. You know, you know, I don't know when he made his debut. I'm not even going to look it up. Right around '89. Yeah. You know, it's it's around the same time. And Seattle had just never had a superstar yeah. and people were, I was just gaga for him as yeah. a kid, but, but each was something different because you felt like you weren't just watching kind of a once in a generation talent. You were watching just like a new kind of player, uh, like a, a
0: genius, a, yeah. like he
1: had, he had come from the future to, to teach us a new kind of baseball.
0: I was at one of those games where he <clears throat> caught a ball and as, you know, far right field as you could be. And then Threw it to some th- laser like third base and the, and it wasn't even it didn't even have an arc. He threw it just flat to third base. And it I, it, I think I've seen the play. It beat the runner.
1: Yeah, and the glove, you know, the glove doesn't even have to move. Like yeah. the it lands exactly where you'd need to put the tag on the foot.
0: And it was a thing where the stadium didn't know whether to lose their minds or just be quiet. <laughs> just be quiet like you would be like you like in a church. Yeah, there was something about each that really kind of commanded respect,
1: yeah. right? Um, and that was a funny time for the franchise because we were, um, speaking of radiuses, or radii to, mm, to call the ahead. phrase, like we were the de facto Japan, Japanese major league franchise. Yeah. You were, All the bilingual signage at the stadium. Yeah, that was Some fun. of which is still there, by the way. They took me through the... Um, you ever you ever sit where like the rich people sit where they get their own little buffet?
0: One time I went I uh, sat in the in the padded seats where they had a like a cake bar in the basement and you could get <laughs> it's not lobster baseball. tails. It's not baseball if you don't have a cake bar. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. I didn't want to leave the the uh you know the the buffet. You look down, down
1: there and you see like Macklemore's eating an ice cream Sunday and you're
0: like, where did he get that? He's at a ballpark. Well they bring it up to you too. Yeah. The problem is you and I both suffer from this. The We never get to really capitalize on true luxury because we don't drink alcohol. And for eighty percent of the people in those padded seats, it's just the free booze. I think about this every time I'm in an airport. Like
1: everything about uh flying prestige is built around the idea that you can get all the free
0: alcohol you wanted at, at 11 a.m good drinks is yeah. what it's all about
1: so i'm in this lounge thinking eh, I, I guess i'm in a lounge but like I, i'm enjoying it less than anyone yeah
0: really. do i get a bowl of frosted flakes is that my <laughs> right. compensation look at, look at these wasabi peas all i can eat well and that's true throughout show business right my entire my entire career like when we used to tour spain most of the bands that go to Spain are paid primarily in cocaine and top shelf booze. Oh. And I was like, no cocaine, no top shelf booze. I'll just take the money. And they were like, oh, the money. We got, uh, no, I no, have yeah. <laughs> We don't have them, uh, but, uh, but we could get you some more booze. And, you know, my bandmates are like, woo,
1: free booze. And
0: I'm like, oh, come on.
1: Well, in that you know, in that lounge that's kind of below those schmancy seats, I've never sat there either. But they walked me through no, when I had to throw out my first pitch. Yeah, you have, but I have not.
0: Oh, I see. Oh, but I you see. said either,
1: and that implied that neither of us had. For for the record, I have. That's very important to the show. Yeah. If you're taking notes in the future, John got to sit in the
0: padded. seats I was once. in the padded seats once. I also watched a lot of motor uh, motocross from Paul Allen's box in uh, in the the Seahawks <laughs> Stadium too. I got
1: walked through the padded seats to throw out a first pitch, which if you think about it, clearly outranks the people
0: in the padded seats. Yeah, but did they even look up at you as you walked through or did <laughs> <laughs> were there, were there uh, velvet ropes on either they side of you? They could tell I didn't
1: have a boat, I think. <laughs> but they, you know, walking through that, that buffet area, all the signs are still in English and Japanese and they clearly
0: date from you know the early
1: 2000s. When the high
0: rollers were from Japan. When
1: we were, yeah, the, all those seats were full of people who had flown over just for a game and just to get a picture taken in front of Safeco because we were the easternmost outpost of the Empire of Japanese baseball and Ichiro was you know he was he was well liked and respected here and loved in Seattle but he was a god in Japan
0: now i i i know that Japanese baseball has got a long and storied history but would you say that baseball was as big in Japan as it is in the United States bigger less big i went to um like the, the one time I spent any
1: time in Japan, we were um we were in Hokkaido a few years ago because it was the summer and we spent some time in Tokyo, but then we were like, we gotta get away from the heat.
0: Wait a minute. Are you saying that you were in Hokkaido because it was the summer? Is this a thing I don't know about? That well, in was, the summer you go to Hokkaido? I was,
1: explain, I was in the middle of explaining the oh, story, but you your your brow furrowed and you stopped listening.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I was still listening. I was just like, it was hot. Right, okay. It was hot
1: and humid in Tokyo. Right. So instead of like going down to Kyoto, where it would be more hot and more humid, we took a train north I to Hokkaido.
0: I just thought this was a social thing that in Japan we go or uh, we go uh, to Japan in the summers. And it's, I was like, like, it's
1: like Canadians going to the cottage. <laughs> where have I been? Let's all go to Hokkaido together. <laughs> and uh, at the time, Shohei Otani, now uh, star for the Angels because he did not want to play for the Mariners because he thought he would be Ichiro 2. Ichiro 2. Or ich- Ichiro-ni. Is that how you say 2? Mm-hmm. Uh... The, uh, he decided to play for the Angels instead, and actually he would have pitched, us, pitched against us in the final game of the season if the still, or Angels had still been in contention. But we go to Hokkaido. He's playing for the local team up there, the, um, what we believe to be the Nippon Ham Fighters, and in fact, it's actually the Nippon Ham Fighters. Teams there are, have corporate sponsors. So the Fighters are the team that is uh, endorsed by the fine people and products of Nippon
0: Ham. And is a, a, a canned meat. Oh, okay, company. so ham is the is is an English word. Yes,
1: it's a pork themed baseball team. Okay, and so
0: everywhere they're you, not fighting.
1: Everywhere ham, you though. go, like and not just in you know, I assume the nippon ham fighters play their home games in Sapporo. I have no idea. There was, um, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, yeah, they're in Sapporo, and uh, but even you get out in the you get out in the country no matter where you went up there there were giant pictures of shohei otani everywhere every vending machine every billboard you know it was a just kind of giant massive star stalin like um posters and placards of this guy
0: and, and no other contemporaries no other baseball stars you know here we're here at the at safeco field there's there are always three or four banners of big stars
1: like you mean this not the statues of stars in the past they put up the current line yeah yeah the current line and it's been a little thin
0: in recent a lot of a lot of turnover there (laughs) hanniger is going to get his own banner i think
1: yeah now there's i think now there's a chance for some long-term banners but yeah so my impression just from tooling around Hokkaido for we can seeing otani's face everywhere is that their baseball stars there are maybe bigger celebrities than our biggest
0: baseball stars here
1: and that dates back to, surprisingly, the 1870s. I, I think I had kind of naively assumed for many years it was during the occupation.
0: I thought so, too. It's It goes back to the 1870s? In, 18, in
1: 1871, a Maine farmer, like as in from the state of Maine, and Civil War veteran named Horace Wilson headed great, to Japan. Great Civil War I name. mean, it's exactly what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he headed to Japan uh, to teach uh, English, et cetera, at some school. This was... During the Meiji era, you know, a a new modern emperor was on the throne and had decided in defiance of centuries of Japanese tradition to open the country to new ideas and progress. And that meant the West.
0: So, Japan, Admiral Peary arrived in Tokyo Bay in 1853. So, Japan has only been open, quote unquote, open for 25 years. Yeah, I mean, for
1: centuries, there had been, you know, the occasional Dutch or Portuguese ship, uh, but you know, the Japanese government made very specific policies to confine foreign influence to Nagasaki, and exactly for this reason like these ideas are very powerful. They've got these muskets, mm-hmm. which are also powerful, baseball bats. They didn't have baseball bats
0: then. Oh, I guess not in 1853.
1: Uh, this is, um, but I'm just talking about you know, the early, the earliest Dutch and Portuguese visitors in the 17th and 18th centuries. They were all right. confined to one port city, um, because. The Japanese view of culture then was, you know, that their culture was uh, rigorous and superior and uh, these new values were not just a threat. They were actually, um, you know, bad for you.
0: They were unwelcome. Now, wait, I just looked it up. The first baseball game was in 1846, predating Admiral Perry in, in Japan. That's interesting. So, but similar era. Yeah.
1: So baseball would have been a very new game when Horace Wilson showed up at his school. He you know, he spent six years in Japan, returned uh, in eighteen seventy seven, died in San Francisco in nineteen twenty seven, and his descendants, still living in Maine, were shocked in the year two thousand when Japanese baseball historians reached out to them and said, We would like to come to your farmhouse and uh, you know, which to us is like a shrine, um, your great-great-great-great granduncle or whatever, Horace Wilson, brought baseball to Japan in the eighteen seventies. Apparently he had spent You know, as you say, baseball is a few decades old then. This was a sport that Horace knew from the Civil War or whatever. Right. And during school breaks and recesses, he had made a makeshift diamond and taught some of the kids at his school to play baseball. And, you know, I don't know how directly you can draw the line, but the Japanese baseball historians see that as, you know, that's their Abner Doubleday origin moment.
0: Is it well known in Japan or was this something that was... Recently unearthed, I think it
1: was recently unearthed, and Horace Wilson had just been added to their equivalent of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, you know, even in the U.S., you know, you dig into the history of these sports, and it's a little bit murky. You know, the Doubleday story is not true; that's more mythology than than history. Um, but you know, Horace Wilson had kind of just been recently been discovered, and you know, they came to his main farmhouse. And coo- I, I read about this because I, one of his descendants is now an NPR producer and wrote about this story. You know, because it's kind of a funny idea. These these kind of Tokyo people, jet-lagged Tokyo guys wandering around this main farm <laughs> right. thinking this is where the magic happened. And then they invited them over to Japan for a game and the ceremony that inducted Wilson into the Hall of Fame.
0: I really wish that some uh, some historians in Japan would figure out that I was very important to Japanese culture in some way. That I was the descendant of somebody that had ever done anything and that they would fly me to Japan and fet me.
1: I mean, in this case, Horace had been dead for 100 years. I mean, 100 and... Yeah, well, yeah, about eighty years. Do, do you mind if it happens in in the distant future when you're long a tree? Oh, when, when oh, you're when you're buried in your silo or whatever. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, do you want to will... accomplish the thing and be recognized, or do you just want to have some
0: random ancestor? I'd rather have a random ancestor, so I get to go you to, get to go to the parties. As a musician, I always wanted to go to Japan as one of those American bands that gets. To play at Budokan. Yeah, that gets really popular in Japan, inexplicably. I mean, it happens, right? Where a band that here doesn't really, you know, can't sell out a 300-person venue, but but the Japanese decide One they're song, amazing. Yeah. And uh it never happened for me. Not yet. Not yet. Thanks, Ken. Don't give up. Uh, in 1924,
1: our protagonist enters the story. Matsutaro Shoriki is kind of an unusual, in the unusual midlife crisis. He's a He's a very strong-willed man. He's a judo master. You know, he's the highest level of judo attainment you can get. But there was an attempt on the life of the emperor in the 1920s by some political rivals that ended up with a lot of cops getting thrown under the bus. Um, so Mr. Uh, so Shiriki gets drummed out of the police. And now, you know, what do you do? What's your second act in Japan in the mid-20s? He Couldn't, you know, it wasn't really his fault that somebody tried to, you know, come after Hirohito at a... Traffic stop or whatever.
0: This um, story plays into the into the great Japanese war film "Fires on the Plane." It's it's a is that true early plot point. Yeah. Oh, highly recommended that you see the movie, although it is extremely depressing and <laughs> awful. I was about to. I, I, and all the uh,
1: all the foreign movies you've ever seen are awful war movies you were forced to see, right? Not
0: forced, but yes,
1: <laughs> forced by the dice. Um, so Shariki decides he's going to buy a struggling Tokyo newspaper called the Yomiuri Shimbun. And he becomes a newspaper editor and publisher. Uh, At the time, baseball, you know, since the 1870s, baseball is getting more and more popular in Japan. And uh, obviously, America being the birthplace of baseball, there have been the occasional barnstorming tour where American players have come over and played a series of games against local. You know, that was the fashion in a lot of sports, even domestically here. You know, the big basketball teams would go through Iowa in the offseason, the big baseball teams, you know, they would often have gimmicks like, look at this all Jewish team or here's a Negro team coming to your town. Like this happened in every sport because it was, you know, back before TV deals. All the money was in live performance.
0: The Harlem Globetrotters came to Alaska. No, in the eighties or maybe the seventies. The Globetrotters
1: are the leftovers of the barnstormer era. It right?
0: was a huge event too. I mean, they played the, the the big arena. Everybody was there. I remember when every time the TV commercials played in Seattle,
1: you'd hear um "Sweet Georgia Brown."
0: And I'd be like, I wish we could go
1: to I wish when I was a kid, I wish we could go to the
0: Globetrotters. You never saw the Globetrotters? Have Uh, we talked
1: about... We talked about this with the Washington We did a show about the Washington Generals. I mean, I've seen the Globetrotters, if you count their animated versions meeting Scooby-Doo or Gilligan on Saturday morning.
0: No, I don't count that. But I saw them in Seattle. I saw them here at the... at the well was it the, at the Colosseum and then and then in Anchorage too
1: two times I saw the Globetrotters. You're kind of a super fan. You follow them around. You're you're like a deadhead of Meadowlark Lemon. You're I, a, you're a medhead.
0: I also saw the Dead two times. <laughs>
1: so we need to type. We need you to see the Harlem Globetrotters three times just no, to, just to break the tie. I feel like the two of them are are yin and yang. So Shariki wants. Um, he thinks this is a good publicity angle for his paper. He wants. The barnstorming tour to end all barnstorming tours. He wants. He's ambitious for this little newspaper editor. He wants the biggest celebrity in the world.
0: And this is what year? He
1: wants Babe Ruth.
0: Oh, this is that year.
1: It's yeah. It's it's now the late twenties. Um, he spends a decade. You know, Babe Ruth is the biggest. You know, arguably the biggest celebrity in America. You know, more better known than the president.
0: Bigger than Fatty Arbuckle.
1: <laughs> in in two ways probably, <laughs> um, but the Babe keeps saying. No, like, you know, and you can see why, you know, like it's a... Japan. It's a hassle to take a boat all the way to Japan and, right. and you know, I'm not I'm not appreciated there the way I am. I'm just going to do my normal publicity tours. Um, but as the decade goes by, as we get into the 30s, Shrieky's paper takes off and he becomes one of the biggest media, you know, he's now a media mogul, hmm. basically. He's a big Japanese name and he has an angle. He decides to befriend... Um, uh, he decides to befriend he. Uh-huh. He makes a connection with an American baseball star named Lefty O'Doul, who has been a pretty big uh oh left fielder. He left fielder for um largely the Giants during the uh, during the twenties and thirties, and a bit of a Japanophile. Hmm. So Shariki kind of stokes these fires and hires him to consult on baseball stuff. For, so he's got a connection to the major leagues, and Lefty O'Doul's wife succeeds in befriending the Babe's wife and daughter. So, Love it. So now Shariki is just what, what is that? Three degrees of separation. Four yeah. degrees from from the biggest celebrity in the world.
0: Worming his way in. Yeah. In, in my experience, and this is probably, I mean, let me let me uh, just just float this the The best angle when you're trying to get a celebrity to do something is to just throw money at them, right? I mean, what why, you don't have to get your 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 friend's wife to get to know their wife. You just offer them more and more money until they say yes.
1: So the question here is: Is it um, that Babe is the one guy in the world you can't do that to because he has just an exorbitant, you know, he just has Hollywood throwing money at him, and he can he can uh, he can endorse some kind of cream of wheat and uh, make the make some insane amount of 1930 money without having to cross an ocean. Right. Or is it Shariki's budget? You know, like, I mean, he's, he's a pretty big name in Japanese publishing, but you know, maybe that's still a pretty small pond. Yeah. Okay. Compared to, you know, the Babes Manhattan environs. So he's working an angle. He, so he works an angle and it works. Um, in the early 1930s, he finally strikes a deal with Babe. And in 1934, Babe Ruth comes to Japan and not just Babe Ruth, but he, uh, once he has Babe Ruth on board, he gets the American league on board and kind of an all-star, uh, team of American league celebrities, including nine future hall of famers, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Lefty Gomez. They all get on a boat and head to Tokyo for Shariki's barnstorming tour.
0: Wow. Fantastic.
1: And the National League, you know, doesn't let their players out, so it's just an AL team. But it's a very interesting time to be doing this. And I think this is part of maybe what gets the babe to say yes, is he is appealed to on patriotic grounds. Tensions between the U.S. and the Empire of Japan are growing in the mid-30s. So this Um, is a peace
0: effort as well. Sure.
1: It's hands across the sea. And, you know, peace treaties, you know, longstanding peace treaties have started to weaken and fall. You know, the Japanese are beginning their first kind of Pacific... Right. realm invading paci- Pacific theater combat maneuvers yeah and you know it's starting to look like the next war is going to be in the Pacific the winds of war is that uh is that also
0: from fires on the plane <laughs> no that's from Herman woke <laughs> no not woke no he' woke
1: <laughs> no it, it is
0: pronounced woke <laughs> yeah I know but He's... I did I didn't want people to get get confused that if he we was
1: woke. W- if we watch it again I don't know I w- it might not seem woke probably not although I loved that. There's a big part of War and Remembrance in um, Set in uh, the Camps. In, it's, right. it's a Holocaust oh, series. series. Right. That's right. Maybe he, maybe he was Herman very woke. He was Herman woke. I mean, I loved the book even before the miniseries. Oh, I never read the book. Yeah, it's good. They're good. The thing about the 80s was you never had to read those fat uh, books that were always in rental homes or grandma's house. Because, Unless you wanted to. Because there would be a, <laughs> there would just be a 12-hour version of them on CBS.
0: Yeah, that's right. But those big fat uh, World War II uh, historical novels... Historical novels used to be a big thing. Yeah, about 1,100 pages, James yeah. Michener. And yeah, I really enjoyed watching, uh, you know, imagining Charlton Heston in those roles.
1: That was you splitting the baby between cool and nerd. Was,
0: <laughs> was you reading Michener novels that, a you, little.
1: Fa- that you found at your, a little. At your aunt's house yeah, or something? Yeah, they were
0: sitting on a bench in a bus <laughs> station, and I was like, that's a big book.
1: You know, we don't know what kind of, what species of listener we're speaking to on this program. Right. They could be from a variety of eras, a variety of phyla. Right. Uh, They could be plants. They They could could secrete their own pungent
0: musk. They will certainly have their own different smells. But almost certainly if you can smell, you're going to have smells you prefer, aren't you, Ken? Exactly. There's going to be
1: a smell of your species that is not socially acceptable and a variant smell that is, and you know, who knows more about that than anybody else hmm. is native.
0: Oh, right. Native, native who, uh, who cares about the products you put on your body. Yeah.
1: I mean, this stuff is, uh, is going to be true across eras globally. Uh, you may want an aluminum free deodorant. You, Almost certainly
0: you do. Yes. You, unless you are
1: made of aluminum. You, you want a deodorant without, uh, you may want an unscented deodorant, for example. You may want broad-spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen for your face and body if you live in a, a, a dystopian future.
0: Right. It may be that, you, uh, that your, your race evolved in a time when the sun did not penetrate to the earth, and then the sky's clear because of a strong zephyr, and all of a sudden the sun is burning your, your pasty white ectoplasm.
1: I can't imagine a time when you would not want to smell like coconut and vanilla or citrus and herbal musk. Or lavender and rose. I mean, everybody's going to want body wash, deodorant that smells like
0: that. And you can build your own personalized product bundles where you mix and match three of those favorite scents to keep them on rotation. So you have something for every occasion. You can think to
1: yourself, this event or ceremony I'm attending, is it a citrus and herbal musk? No, this is more of a lavender and rose party I'm going to. Stay fresh, stay clean with Native by going to nativedeo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout. Why? Why would you go to that trouble to learn how to spell the name of our show? Because you will get 20% off your first order.
0: That's nativedeo.com slash omnibus and use promo code omnibus at checkout for 20% off your first
1: order. So on November 2nd, the... Um, The All Americans arrive in Japan and they are greeted with pandemonium because, you know, baseball is big enough there that um, you know just having the actual super people never thought they would see their actual world celebrity superstar idols in person, and now. People line the streets, and there's parades, and people are just chanting Bonsai Babe Ruth outside the Imperial Hotel.
0: That must have been exciting for them. Can you imagine? Yeah.
1: Bonsai Babe Ruth, by the way, is the name of the very good book that Rob Fitz wrote about this tour um, a couple of years ago, which I'm drawing heavily on here. Um, but B- Babe Ruth, you know, larger than life, traveling in style. He brings 20 bags with him on the boat, you know, one of which is just for his his um, his chewing tobacco. Mm-hmm. He's got, a, he's, got a, he's got a full bag of, of tobacco. He's photographed in a kimono and it's like the, it's, it's Beatlemania basically, except across the other ocean. People are sneaking into the hotel, you know, a a guy shows up at babe's hotel door with a baseball for him to sign and the babe chuckles and signs and then he reaches into his kimono and pulls out another ball and they just keep coming. Like he just keeps pulling out baseballs until, until security comes.
0: Um, You've surely had somebody like that. You've had, you've had people show up at events and hand you pictures to autograph, and then they have another Did, did I another. tell you the
1: story? I get back to my hotel in, um, I was speaking outside, at a college outside Indianapolis, and I get back to my little campus hotel, and there's some guy in the lobby, oh, Ken, so excited, big fan. I'm like, hey, hey, yeah, uh, nice to see you. They didn't come to the, the book signing, but they're big fans, such big fans that they've been waiting in the hotel lobby. Hey, I was hoping you'd sign, you know, and I signed some weirdly sports memorabilia. Okay, okay. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then his friend is like, hey, how about these? Okay, I'll sign up for your friend. And then the first guy suddenly has, how about this? And now it's a stack of like like BYU pennants. <laughs> you went to BYU? Yeah, but I'm not on the uh, team. And finally I realized these guys are dealers. Yeah. And they've, they've got a thing where they just kind of gradually escalate. Yeah. And
0: um it's never obviously ever ever happened to me, but I've been there's
1: no indie rock equivalent?
0: Uh, there is. It's just I was never quite that big, but I've been standing next to, you know, a friend and I are walking through a thing and somebody comes and up he and they're gets like, worked. Hey, you know, can you sign this? Or or you know, it's often it's often like the female rock stars, Hey, will you sign this? And they're like, Sure. And then it just, like you say, it just escalates. They've and got pretty a, soon it's like, wait a minute. They've got a whole th- You're a creep. And I started to get a little skeptical and they're like,
1: Hey, we drove all the way from Indianapolis. Uh, okay, I mean, <laughs> to ambush me in my hotel lobby. I think at some point I was like, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I just signed like 10 things for you guys. Good night. Yeah. And they were like kind of pissed. Yeah. You know? Hey, but, but, uh, I, uh, we're fans. We came all the way from Indianapolis. <laughs> um, But there's an interesting uh, kind of cultural tension going into Japan right now. And the presence of Babe Ruth really becomes a flashpoint for it. Um, was the
0: State Department hip? Uh, what? Like did they? Yeah. was this exciting to them? Or yeah, were they wheels dubious? are being
1: greased on both ends? Uh-huh. I think like both governments are are like this. You know, this is, can only be good to have. You know, it, you know even um, but but there are you know for the Japanese, the mainstream Japanese government, this is this is great to try to, you know, pacify the Americans, but you know to to right wing nationalist elements, which in Japan were in the Japanese government and maybe in FDR's <laughs> government too. I don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> no. um- like, that's where the real controversy was. Um,
0: because this is polluting Japanese culture?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's specifically, it's specifically Babe Ruth is an affront to the... I don't know, the, the Bushido code. You know, kind of the samurai-like way that even Japanese baseball stars acquitted themselves in the 1930s. You would, you know, it was all about... Um, you know, it was not about the money. It was not... You know, Babe Ruth famously... You know the richest man in America just lived it up. You know, big appetites in every way. Um, you know, big guy liked to party after the game. You know, whereas in Japan the aesthetic was all just to, you know to leave it on the field. You know, it's all about the it's all about the team. There would not be any kind of you know giant oversized Babe Ruth guy carousing after the game. Right. So it really seemed very un-Japanese, vulgar, and uh, and the fact that Shariki's paper has brought these guys over is tricky because there are rival right-wing papers that are, you know, writing furious editorials about the pollution of Japanese culture. Um, But crowds go nuts. You know, they, the all Americans play 18 games in 12 cities.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Big tour. They never lose. They, they beat all the, you know, Japanese all-star teams that are thrown at them, which, you know, that was kind of expected and nobody minds. Japanese play a very different style of ball at the time. I guess it was thought that like a double, even a double play was gauche. That like samurais would not go for the second out.
0: Oh um, wow! Because it was not. I, I don't uh, know. It was just felt. It was like just a
1: little extra. Oh, huh. I guess I don't know. Um, but you know, but Babe Ruth, you know, they loved to see that kind of power ball. He hit thirteen dingers over the course of the tour. The very first one he ever hit. Um like landed at a spot that is today in the Sendai zoo. And if you go to the zoo there, there is a statue of Babe Ruth where his first home run ball landed, um, which is pretty fantastic. That's pretty cool. Did it grow there just spontaneously? Yeah. yeah uh-huh. Nobody nobody sculpted oh. it <laughs> over, over the years. <laughs> at first there was a little tiny baby Babe Ruth uh-huh. there um, with an umbilical going into the ground. And then it, it grew in real time. It took
0: years. It was insane. It's 800 feet tall now.
1: There were, <laughs> There were some happy moments for the Japanese fans. A promising pitcher named Eiji Sawamura uh, struck out Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Jimmy Fox. Hello, in a row, um, in a row. Yeah, like it, you know, that was the three inning. Three up, three down. That was the inning. Uh, he only gave up one run in that game, and uh, sadly, they lost one nothing because they, you know, they just didn't get any offensive oh, production. Um, but Sawamura was, you know, a promising young pitcher, and uh, Jap- Japan's equivalent of the Cy Young Award is named after him to this day, the Sawamura uh, Award. But throughout all this, Matsutaro Shiriki has a plan. He's got a long con. Oh. He wants... Japan does not really have a big baseball major league the same way, uh, you know, nationwide. It's
0: more a sandlot game? The same game. way that
1: America does. Yeah, I think it's a lot of little regional teams and there's, a, you know, there's college games. And, but he wants a big league. He wants to... And he wants to own the... To- he wants to start a Tokyo team, which he will call the Tokyo Giants in honor of his friend Lefty O'Doul's New York Giants. And this is his whole plan, and he thinks the All Americans tour will get him there. But as I've said, he has rivals who do not, you know, they don't like seeing this whole plan help the circulation of the Omiri Shimbun, and they certainly don't like seeing these, um, you know, depraved, pampered Americans parading in front of the what should be a, a disciplined. Mm. Japanese people
0: on a war footing. Hi. Um do do giants play a role in Japanese culture? Are there like historic are, are there mythological? mythological giants in I don't I can't think of one.
1: Uh there's the giant 800 foot Babe Ruth statue in this in mm-hmm.
0: the Sendai. There's Zoo. the giant uh fire breathing lizard that lives under the ocean.
1: Uh there appears to be, Google tells me, Diderotchi, uh a mythological giant. Um who builds, you know, the, you know, mount he's often the origin story of different Japanese mountains and lakes oh, and so forth.
0: Just one lonely giant though. He just never had a one, friend giant
1: wandering around Hokkaido digging crater digging caldera lakes like um uh-huh. like Paul Bunyan cuz he's bored. That's <laughs> <laughs> sad. Japan? Yeah. Uh I'm sure we'll hear about actual Japanese mythology here.
0: Uh, you at, mean in our addenda episode yeah, available to Patreon subscribers?
1: Yes. yes. For for merely five dollars a month, people could hear us be told we're wrong about <laughs> Japanese mythology. That's I would pay I would pay way more for that. For
0: sure, I would do. Uh
1: at the time, a lot of these kind of right-wing societies really overlap with Japanese organized crime. You know, they're they're effectively crime gangs turned quasi military or governmental entities by supporting the you know the correct factions within the government.
0: Are you telling me that organized crime isn't socially liberal? Mm, I don't know. Do not, they tend to f- pursue uh, conservative, uh, traditional ways? I'm trying to think. Like I don't really know what. Um,
1: I mean. I feel like Tony Soprano. I mean. I know therapy sessions are a safe space, but he says an awful lot of things that are.
0: He does not little, exactly PC. A little problematic. You know I feel like I mean. the Bloods and the Crips. If that you know, after a hundred years, they're going to be very entrenched conservative organizations.
1: You don't think one of them will be conservative and one will be liberal? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing this to own the Crips. Ah.
0: Um, and, Listen, and, I, we take no sides in a blood blood Crips. Uh,
1: then why are you doing the blood thing with your hand right now? That's so weird. West side. <laughs> one of these um, kind of gang slash military societies is called the War Gods Society, and mm-hmm. they're aligned with um, one of Shoriki's biggest rivals, a larger Tokyo paper called the Tokyo Nichi Nichi. And they're the ones publishing a lot of these fiery editorials, you know, uh, how dare Babe Ruth and his team disgrace the Japanese people and our long traditions of blah, 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 blah. And in fact, um, during the tour, like a, a military coup is uncovered in the government trying to, you know, overthrow the, the, um, the, the peacenik elements in the legislature and give the emperor more power, you know, more widespread military power. Um, so that's the kind of thing that making the headlines while the, you know, while the babe is hitting dingers into the zoo. And in fact, shortly after the tour ends, uh, the War God Society actually plans an early morning assassination attempt on Matsutaro huh. Shariki. I think he's on his way to work, and they send a guy with a samurai sword after him.
0: See, now that's the thing. If you, if you want to kill somebody on their way to work, you have an Italian guy throw a bomb.
1: Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, Huey Long is dead. You know why? Because nobody sent a guy with a samurai sword after him. He'd still be alive today if they had tried to kill him with a samurai sword. Um, he survived, you know, in fact, he got clunked on the back of the head, which is not how you want to kill somebody with a samurai sword.
0: No, well, clunking isn't, you, you want to slice them.
1: You would think clunking is not part of the Bushido code.
0: Right, exactly. But the assassin Seems botched it.
1: The assassin botched it and, uh, Shiriki survived, um. But, you know, one of the stories that you asked if the U.S., if the State Department was all for this, one of the stories that's often told about this tour revolves around Mo Berg, who is catching for the
0: All-Americans. Also, a, that's a great baseball name. Mo Berg. Mo Berg.
1: He's, uh, he's a catcher for the Cleveland Indians. And unlike the rest of them, not so great. He's just kind of a journeyman catcher. Nobody's really clear why he's there. He's um, He went to Princeton. He went to Columbia. He's one of these kind of... Mm-hmm. Smart uh early uh you know twenties and thirties athletes. Um, but not a great not a great baseball player. Like uh, I think this is Babe Ruth quoted as saying, Mo speaks a dozen languages but can't hit in any.
0: This <laughs> <laughs> in your face, Mo. Got him. I bet he had a great mid
1: Atlantic accent though. Oh, for sure. Um I mean Lou Gehrig went to Columbia. Maybe he did right. too, you know? Were these all rich kids? It's hey him. bada bada bada. So <laughs> That's why everybody has that weird Billy Crystal way of talking. <laughs> But um, Mo Berg spent most of his time in Japan with a 16-millimeter Bell and Howell camera he had brought, you know, taking pictures of local culture, local buildings, the layout of government installations. Uh, and, oh, and during the wait a minute. And during World War II, he actually later became an operative for the OSS, the forerunner of the CIA. So a lot of speculation has revolved around Mo Berg's part in this. You know, did the State Department put in a crappier catcher just because— he was a man with an espionage mission.
0: That feels like a conspiracy theory that is like a uh, reflecting a post-war idea about espionage. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to imagine. I mean, it's in 1934. 19, 1934. Pearl Harbor whether, is still seven years away. Yeah, whether they're actually scouting. Um, which parts of Tokyo to firebomb? In Fitz's book, he comes out against it, and he says, you know,
1: although this has been bandied about for decades, like, I don't think Moberg was a spy. But that's, um, you know, it's, it's at least a possibility since Moberg did go on to to serve his country in the OSS during World War II. And, of course, after, you know, when, when war came...
0: Um, I bet they did study that film.
1: <laughs> maybe it certainly pissed off Babe Ruth, who really spent the next seven years just feeling very proud of himself and telling friends and reporters how he had how he had prevented war and brought peace to the to the you know the Pacific uh, Rim. And when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941, Ruth was just apoplectic. Apparently, he took it as a
0: personal. Apparently,
1: approach. he took all the Japanese stuff that he had brought from Tokyo and was now decorating his. His Manhattan penthouse, and he just like went out on the balcony and just threw it all out onto Riverside Drive, just
0: furious. Much to the chagrin of people just <laughs> mining pass, their own passers business. <laughs>
1: by below. Imagine finding out about World War II that way. How did you hear about uh how did you <laughs> learn about the war? Well, I got hit on the head by a priceless Japanese <laughs> vase thrown by Babe Ruth, uh, who was a pitcher, you know. Like mm. you don't you don't want that guy mm. raining raining porcelain ware down on you. Mm-mm. Uh, and where Ruth had once been greeted by the Japanese with cheers of bonsai, um, American soldiers in the Pacific often found that they were taunted by Japanese troops who would yell to hell with Babe Ruth as they, you know, rained grenades down upon them. That became a popular anti-American war cry.
0: Right. Weird, weird dog. Right. I mean, if I were out there and they were like, to hell with Babe Ruth, I'd be like, well,
1: well, yeah, if you're a Red so. Sox fan, you're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm am with you, buddy. Who would it be today? Like you know, we go to war, and the who are the Chinese troops taught to? Um,
0: George Clooney is a bad actor. To,
1: <laughs> Lady Gaga is the worst. <laughs> but this was a really good diss in in the early 40s. Um, and in fact, many of the many of the um, players on the All Nippon team that um, that the All Americans had played most of their games against, they were called up and fought in the war. Um, tragically, A. G. Sawamura was aboard a transport ship that was sunk uh, off Japan uh, towards the end of the war. So, you know, after striking out Ruth and Gehrig and Fox back to back to back, he did not survive the war.
0: I wonder if there's a statue of him growing on the bottom of the sea. <laughs> Too soon.
1: <laughs> this, but their Young Award is still named for him. Uh, in 1949, uh, after the war, ended, um, you know, obviously international tensions, you know, even higher there in a way, you know, American culture, you know, still suspect in Japan, but now in a different way, um, you know, uh, a nation now, you know, brought low by, by, a, a American forces.
0: Right. And in the course, and in the, in the, um, in the process of being sort of like hard colonized by MacArthur in an open collar shirt.
1: Right. So, so the, the previous kind of cultural Meiji era colonization by American uh, ideas must have seemed especially, you know, a, a tricky area. But MacArthur had an idea. He got lefty O'Doul of all people back Whoa. and sent, you know, who was still, you know, still just loved Japan, happy to be there. He had, he had uh, become a uh, successful, after his career, he became a successful minor league manager. And ran. Um, oh, I never mentioned the manager, by the way. The All Americans were managed by no less than Connie Mack <laughs> of the Philadelphia Athletics, um, who I think was interested in scouting some of the players. Actually, you know, he wanted to he wanted to see his American League rivals up close.
0: But the oh, I see. I see what you're saying. I, yeah, not, he not, wasn't not scouting Jeff- Japanese. No, not, that was
1: that was still decades away. Yeah. Um, that would have seemed like science fiction at the time, even in '49 when MacArthur sent a out on a tour. But this tour was a huge success. People remembered the, you know, the Führer and kind of the, the pre-war uh, hopes and uh, ideals of the original All Americans. And so, half a million fans come out to see Lefty O'Doul's team play. He, uh, they do, you know, and it's a lot of American propaganda. They do a, a game yeah. for fourteen thousand war orphans. Right. um, Hirohito is brought in to meet you know Oduo actually meets the emperor well, and, that's big and it's a change it's a photo op, yeah
0: well, it's um, funny because uh, you could see on the one hand that there would be resistance to the like Americanization, but on the other hand, Japanese nationalism had been really discredited in the in the previous ten years yeah it was it was not a good look then to say. Well, I keep pure well
1: I'm against this yeah um, and I guess they just love baseball I mean maybe there is some kind of just pure love of the game element that actually does transcend politics I mean
0: Cuba loves baseball and doesn't seem to
1: we haven't tried have we tried cultural ex- baseball based cultural exchanges I don't know
0: well I think it's just it just happens right that's half the reason that that uh, the Caribbean hasn't United in in war against the United States because <laughs> baseball keeps the peace. They'd hit one of their own infielders. Yeah, um,
1: Chiriki, interestingly, despite running one of the non-nationalist papers before the war, was imprisoned by the occupation because his paper had run, you know, a, a ton of government propaganda you know, because they'd been forced to, but he did time. Wrong side of in, history. In MacArthur's Japan. Yeah, everybody, that guy could not catch a break. First the, first the Japanese hardliners hate him and then the American occupiers imprison him. Um, but nobody tried to clunk him with a samurai sword again. And when he got out, he did in fact start his league, and he did in fact own the Tokyo Giants. And uh, by the time he he lived till 1969, and by the time he died, his the the Giants roster included a rising star named Saduharo Oh, who was kind of the first great. Japanese international superstar, mostly by virtue of the fact that he eventually he was a slugger who eventually beat Babe Ruth's American home run record huh. you know his his career total outstripped um the babes number you know before Hank Aaron did so I think and uh, and as a result um you know that was kind of Shariki's legacy but um sports diplomacy is not dead uh you know Dennis Rodman did not solve. U.S. North Korea relations, tragically, yet, but yet, yet, but this is still a this is still a, and it's the whole ideal behind the Olympic movement, right? Right. That it doesn't matter what what your governments think. That you know, as long as the people are 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 um, are fencing and speed skating
0: against each other, that war
1: is much less likely.
0: So, in the Olympic movement. Even though javelin throwing maybe is arguably like a Greek event or, you know, a a prehistoric event, um, basketball has clear roots. It It was a game devised in a place, in a time. At what point do you think, or maybe this is already true, is baseball in Japan considered now... Still an Americanization, or is it now so rooted in Japanese history and culture that it's cons- that it that it's felt to be like a Japanese enterprise?
1: Uh, I mean, to I mean, we're not speaking to American listeners; we're speaking right. to
0: largely to Australian, super listeners.
1: intelligent fungi <laughs> in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, which has not been decimated by the neutron bombs. But I maybe it would be a good and interesting analogy to think about how Americans feel about tennis or golf. Right. You know, like we don't think of golf as our... As a Scottish. As a, as a, <laughs> a Scottish cultural imperialism. Right. You know, um, that's it's kind of a, an asterisked tri- bit of trivia uh, that it came from somewhere else, but it's just part of our lifestyle here. And I think that's maybe how... Basketball is in the places where it's super popular, you know, the Serbia. Philippines or Lithuania. Yeah, exactly, and uh, and that's I think how baseball feels in the Dominican Republic or Japan, and especially now that it's a point of pride that Japan has, you know, contributed players who can play at or above the level of these American superstars. I mean, in a way, you know, I guess Hideo Nomo opened the door, but it's it's a player like Ichiro that really fulfilled the. You know the promise of the this 1934 tour, where right. you know the the Japanese pitchers is just getting lit up by these Americans. You know it. The Jap- I guess the Japanese way is to you know assimilate these ideas now and to improve upon them. And you know, sixty or seventy years later, they produce a hitter who's better than any scientific contact hitter in uh, American history. When you think about
0: <clears throat> soccer slash football. Um, it has become truly a global sport and, you know, you doubt very much that anyone in Brazil thinks of soccer as an English sport or even a European one. Right. But cricket, although a global sport, is really confined to the British colonial territories or at least, you know, as it, as it ebbs out from there, but it feels very much like a, like a colonial after effect even though it's probably bigger in india than it is anywhere
1: to an outdoor to an outside observer yeah and obviously you and i are experts on cricket yeah famously.
0: Right. established well established
1: but i think um i don't think it feels that way to like you know fans of the pakistani national team or whatever you know like yeah on paper you can see the 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 em, the influence of empire that left islands of cricket in places but um in these now independent countries, it's very much a source of national pride in, in Barbados or India or wherever. You know? I just
0: really want there to be a Russian baseball league or something that takes baseball finally out of the, you know, where we could really have a world series where teams from around the world could play. I think we missed our chance. Like we sent Horace Wilson to Japan in
1: the 1870s and, uh, there was a vacuum there, yeah. I guess they, they, they needed a, a, a novel sport that would kind of symbolize the, the future, the forward-looking uh, aesthetic of the Meiji era. and uh, But it, we should have sent somebody to Iran. Or China.
0: Think how different the world would be. And that concludes The All-Americans Go to Japan. Entry 032.1K0728. Certificate number 36360 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the very unlikely event that you are in Uzbekistan right now, listening to Omnibus in one ear while watching the Uzbekistani Mudhens play uh, the most popular sport in Uzbekistan, baseball, uh, you can find Ken and me issuing mea culpas from beyond the grave on social media, the great equalizing force of contemporary life. That's the true international sport that will keep war at bay. The fact that we all are hanging out together on Instagram. The other day, the other day, somebody sent me a link to something where they were like, have you seen this killer whale eat a great white shark? And I was like, Oh, I'll always watch a killer whale eat a great white shark. And I clicked on the link and it was to an Instagram video. And I hadn't been on Instagram in months uh, because of you know I'm avoiding social media. And I got on there and watched this great video. And then I said, oh I'll just check in on a friend. And I No I looked at a at a at a post of a friend and then I looked at their second post and then I looked who was faving their posts and then I got a cold chill remembering how much time I'd spent Years of your life lost. Both faving and, and thirsty for faves on social media. And I, I shut my system down and I went and I took a cold shower and I swore never again. Although my stuff is archived at John Roderick (laughs) and you can find Ken on there still thirsting at Ken Jennings. Uh, you can email us at the omnibus project at gmail.com. You can uh, hang out with other futurelings, both on social media and in the darker corners of the internet, trading crypto. In the dark web. In the dark web, down and using Tor to exchange back rubs.
1: Illegally torrenting our Addenda episodes free, probably. Uh, That's what I get for my son
0: pirating (laughs) Mariners games, uh, because we don't get root sports. Uh, You can find them wherever futurelings fly their flag. You can support the show, and I should probably rephrase that. You should support the show. We appreciate it when you do support the show. There's a moral component, it, uh, it shows
1: your generosity as a human being when you support the show.
0: We are, uh, we provide our podcast free of charge twice a week, but that it incurs upon you. <laughs> <laughs> An obligation, uh, a moral obligation to to support the show to the same degree that you would support, for instance, Netflix. If someone you don't know is
1: doing something for free, you have a moral obligation mm. to support
0: them, That's whether right. you ask them to do it or not. I mean, you can support us with high fives and retweets, too. But I'm not on uh, social media, so I don't see your retweets. You could write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, that's or, right. Or, write and... Re- or or, or uh, tell your friends. What is it? Fave and review. That's what people say. Uh, star and review? Is that what they say? You haven't you haven't been on social media for so long. That part of your brain is just atrophying away. Like, uh, get, get on the internet and say something Like nice. tears in rain. Anyway, that's... Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com, which is a crowd... Sourced support network. Patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. And you can send us real life things. Actual things. That uh, The table here in the bunker is covered six inches deep in real life things that people have sent us. What are we going to do with this stuff? Well, I don't know.
1: I mean, I'm finally it, reading that Star Trek comic from a couple weeks ago that has like an AMC pacer on it for some reason.
0: I, I was reading the book uh, the other day, How how to Hide Stuff Anywhere. Learning a lot about how to... I mean, some of it is just like uh, put it up in the false ceiling above your desk. And it's like, yeah, they look for stuff there. (laughs) If somebody's really turning over your office, they're going to poke up in the false ceiling.
1: It didn't say how to hide things where they couldn't be found. It's just telling you some some places you can put things. (laughs) Sure. Behind your dirty clothes hamper.
0: All of which will be easily found by the police. In the bottom of your sock drawer. Uh, Send us things to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155
1: Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to talk with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.